We are here in Dover, Plymouth and Milton, all gathering together as well as everybody who's joining us online. Glad that we all get to be here today, uh, opening God's word, worshiping together. And if you're here at Restoration Church and you've never believed in Jesus or made a decision to follow Jesus, that's what we're about. All right, I, I just think, I think back to, to, you know, earlier in my life, and I've always gone to church. It was just part of what we did since, you know, since I was born. And I remember those years when I dreaded going. And, and the reason I dreaded going is because church was just church. Um, but that all changed in my life when I was 14 years old, and I experienced Jesus for the first time, and all of a sudden, church had nothing to do with church. It had everything to do, it had nothing to do with a service and just attending. It had everything to do about Jesus. And man, I just want to invite you to, to yield your heart to him, maybe to call out to him and say, Jesus, if you're real, save me, um, and allow him to do something deeply spiritual in your life today. And, uh, and if you can do that, man, it changes everything. And it's why we are here. It's why we worship, why we open the Bible. Well, uh, we are finishing up this series, Anthems. And really, today's going to be kind of a good capstone on or a good cap for our series. Because how we started it, we're kind of ending it. Um, in, our, in the video, Hannah told you, open your Bibles to Psalm 52, but there's actually a little bit of change in schedule this morning. If you do have your Bibles open there, I want you to flip over a couple chapters to Psalm 72. Psalm 52 was, was what we were planning on and what we were scheduled on, and it's an interesting psalm because David wrote Psalm 52 to a guy named Doeg, who was really an evil, evil man. He um, executed uh, about 85 priests, unarmed men, and then after he killed them all, he went to their town, killed all of their kids, their babies, their wives, and their animals, and just slaughtered everybody. And then there's a song in the Bible about him that they used to sing in church. And so we're going to talk about that, but this week, as I was studying it, studying it, trying to write a sermon to it, it just wasn't the psalm for this week. And so it'll, it'll end up showing up here one of these years um, as we continue our anthem series and we go through these songs in the Bible every year, but, um, but ended up switching it to Psalm 72 because as we'll see, this song that we were singing and this psalm really has a similar theme. And, um, but the song about Doeg really uh, didn't connect at all. So we try not to make scripture fit our plan or our preferences in any principle in our life. We yield ourselves to the Bible and that includes preaching. And so it's not the first time we've ever done that where we had an idea and it doesn't work out and we, and we call an audible and we switch it out. But today's one of those. Now. Let's talk about the reason why. Part of it is the reason for the song that uh, uh, Viva La Vida, that Coldplay released in 2008. The song, one of the interesting things about the song is nobody's entirely sure what it means. Uh, and that's because the, um, the songwriters and the band have never really talked about what it means. They've only kind of, um, y y or what the song's about, they've only just kind of hinted and make, made a few broad statements. 
The general consensus based on the artwork of the album and the music video is that this song is about the French Revolution. And King Louis XVI, he, this song is from his perspective as he gives his last speech before he's executed on the guillotine. And that's pretty much the general consensus, but there's another group of people who believe that this is about Catholicism and that it's about how they used to rule the world, but now their influence is far less. And the reason for that is based on the main chorus of the video of the song. And the words are, I hear Jerusalem bells are ringing, Roman cavalry choirs are singing, be my mirror, my sword, and my shield, my missionaries in a foreign field. Some reason I can't explain, I know St. Peter won't call my name, never an honest word, but that was when I ruled the world. And so the imagery of this seems to connect far better with the church than it does with a French um, monarchy, but... Uh, it could go either way. Now, there's other evidences found in interviews. One that Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, said about this line about St. Peter not calling his name. And he said that it's about this, this line in the song, you're not on the list. I was a naughty boy, and it always fascinated me, the idea of finishing your life and then being analyzed on it. And this idea runs throughout most religions, that's why people blow up buildings, because they think they're going to get lots of virgins. That is the most frightening, frightening thing you could possibly say to somebody, eternal damnation. I know about this stuff because I studied it and I was all into it. I know it. It's still mildly terrifying to me, and this is serious. So there, it seems to be from some of these statements, some of these ideas and imagery that it is it is about religion, but again, most of the evidence leans toward a song about the French Revolution, and my question is, why write a song about the French Revolution? I just, something in my brain doesn't click, and this is not like, an ancient, this is a 2008, and so if you ever think you've got a bad idea, or you think you've got a great idea, and someone else tells you it's a bad idea, I want you to think about this moment in this song. Because someone's like, you know what? We're gonna be hip, we're gonna be cool, we're gonna get girls, people are gonna pay lots of money to come to our concerts, and this is gonna be our hit song. Imagine you're King Louis. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Uh, obviously, it's the really, really old man within me. But this is, um, this, whatever the song's about, it made them a lot of money, and it's obviously very famous, it's appeared everywhere, and you loved the song, you had no idea what it was about. Um, one just interesting side fact, King Louis, he was the guy who perfected the guillotine, let's make it a triangular blade, and then he got to be a test subject on it, so success. He <laughs> blinked twice if you think that it worked. So, you ever hear about that test? That because um, when, you, when, you, when you lose your head in the guillotine, are you still conscious after? And they did a test. Hey, blink twice on, the, on this guy, and he apparently blinked twice. So because you're not immediately dead, there's still oxygen in your brain. And so anyway, 
That is less related to this morning than Doeg. Well, Psalm 72. All right, here's the connection. And I'm not going to try to over-spiritualize this morning. Here's the connection. All right, we're going to take a song from the world, uh, though I don't understand it, a song from the Bible. And here's the connection. One is written to a past king, and Psalm 72 is written to a future king. They're both written kind of about a king, for a king. Uh, But as we see, and as we're going to see, Scripture completes what revolutions cannot. Scripture completes what earthly reign cannot. And as people who are citizens of heaven, which we talked about the first week of this series, we need to remember what kingdom we're a part of and what king we serve. So open up to Psalm 72 and always, always, always want you to participate with us. And if you've got your phone, go ahead and Google it, and I'll be reading out of the NLT version, the the New Living Translation. In this psalm, um, if you scroll all the way down to verse number 20, it says, this is the last psalm of David's, Uh, but if you go all the way to the top of the song, it says it's a psalm that was written by Solomon. So a couple of things here, either it was a song that David wrote that Solomon then found and then produced and published, or it could have just been that he passed away and David, uh, Solomon wrote the song about David's, or David wrote it all along and Solomon's taking the credit. But it is, it is written, and if it's written by Solomon, just like Coldplay wrote the song about, um, about King Louis, that if Solomon wrote it, it is from the perspective of David. It's David's last prayer, David's last song, David's last blessing. There are three main focuses that David takes in this psalm, and we'll look at each of them and kind of go verse by verse through them. The first is that this psalm, Psalm 72, it is a prayer of a father for his child. David was king, and his son Solomon was to take over the throne at David's death. So David, as father to Solomon is praying this prayer over his son. There's a couple of different things that he prays. Number one, he prays for Solomon's walk. Look at verse number one, and I'll put it up here on the screen for those of you who aren't able to get Wi-Fi. It says, give, he's praying now, he's talking to God. Give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. It was saying here, may he walk in your ways, God. May he act like you and think like you and respond like you. This is a prayer that a father prays for a son. And I just want us to think about the prayers we're praying over our kids and our grandkids. Not, you know, not pray, God, don't just pray that they sleep in tomorrow. Don't just pray that they get good grades. Pray for their walk with God. He prays that, his, that Solomon will be righteous. What does righteous mean? 
Uh, you, you know, and, and ultimately it's right standing before God. So stay close to God. They'll be quick to repent their sins before God and that they'll choose to honor God in their action. He prays that they will be fruitful and that he will um, do the things that God calls him to do. And we see this in other verses in this song. He prays for his son to be on the mission of God, not to establish his own kingdom, not to establish his own life, but to do the things that God has called him to do. I, I tell you what, that is usually, that can be, that is a scary thing for most parents to pray, even Christian parents. So I remember being a teenager and it was my group of friends and um, kind of one by one at different times, we, uh, a few of us begin to feel that uh, God was calling us to be pastors. And I told my parents, I don't even remember them reacting. It was just like, okay. Um, but, and so I was grateful for that. And I thought that was kind of how every parent would respond. Hey, I'm gonna be a pastor, I'm gonna go to their college. Cool, great. Um, can you get us to the front of the line for communion? No, I don't think that's within my privilege. They didn't really ask that. But I remember my, my best friend, whose parents were Christians, whose parents taught me in Bible classes throughout all the years. I remember when he told his parents, hey, mom and dad, I feel like God told me to be a pastor. They reacted negatively. And when he told me about it, I was shocked. Like, I thought your parents were Christian. Why would they not want you to be a pastor? Why would they not want you to do God's work in your life? And they just began to panic. You're not gonna make money. You need to have a backup plan. You need to go to this college and get this degree first and then be a pastor after that. And I remember being so shocked. And both of us were shocked. I think we weren't 18 year olds at this time. I don't know, maybe he, we were both 16 or 17 and we were both shocked. Wait a minute, they've raised us our whole life to follow God. And then when we say we're gonna follow God, it's a like a reaction. Um, don't do that. <laughs> and that is still happening because when I was helping at teen camps a couple weeks ago, there was a few conversations. My parents want me to take over their business. My parents want me to do this, but I felt this week that God's telling me to do this instead. I'm scared to tell them. This is a prayer we've got to pray that they do what God tells them to do. You know, it's another, another thing that we're praying over your kids and really over your family. And I'm not hiding this. We just don't talk about it every week. But we're praying that they, you know, at Restoration Church, we want, a, we want 100. Um, we want to uh, send out, release, raise up 100 ministers and missionaries. So we're praying for your kids to move to other countries. We're praying for your kids and, your, and you too. So we're praying for you to move into um, countries where, that are hostile to Christianity to bring the gospel there. And when you pray, God, may my kids do what you've called them to do. And you're like, yeah, I'm for that as long as they live in the same community as me. Yeah, I'm for that as long as they don't bring my grandbabies there. Ugh. Come on, 
we've got to, we need to yield everything to God. And don't pray for your kids, God, make my kids follow my plans for their life. God, I pray my kids don't screw up their life. That's not a good prayer either. God, I pray my kids are on mission with their life. They do what you call them to do. And then you probably get to pray for yourself, may I not get in the way. May I not put fear in that. May I not be selfish about that. And that's not an easy thing to do. So he prays this as a father for his child, for his walk. Second thing he prays in verse number two is for wisdom. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. Again, we think about wisdom, and wisdom's not just education, and wisdom's not just straight A's. But wisdom is making the wise choice. And the wise choice is not always necessarily an easy choice. It's not always a clear choice. And for many, and sometimes within culture, it's not even the cultural, culturally right choice. Wisdom. Pray this over your children. And the third thing that he prays is, uh, is that of action. Verse number four, help him to defend the poor to rescue the children of needy and to crush their oppressors. May he not just talk about doing things. May he not just post about doing good things. May he actually do good things to those who can't pay back, to those who have nothing, necessarily nothing to offer the kingdom, to those who won't gain him a political advantage. May he have action to care for the people that you've put him in charge of to care for. May we pray that same thing about our kids, that they would be kids of action. And one of that prayer, you know, we pray, God, I pray my kids move out one day. Well, that's action, right? That they're not, they're not 35 years old, um, playing video games, we're paying their bills, doing their laundry still, cooking them food but that, they've, that when God calls, they respond. And God has not called any of us to sit in our basements playing video games all day. Even the one pastor I know who runs a, 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 a video game church, an online, fully digital church, he's doing stuff all the time. He's traveling all the time. He's, he's speaking at camps all the time. Like he is, he is in action, not just lounging, with his Turtle Beach headphones, <laughs> saying, I'm so glad God's called me to this. People of action, and, and I, I, it would just be good to evaluate ourselves. Action is not busyness. It's, it's doing the things of God, the commands of the kingdom of God, praying this prayer. We, um, we then see that this song is also the prayer, so it's a prayer of a, of a father for a son, it's also the prayer of a king for his successor. He prays for longevity in verse number five. And uh, may they fear you as long as the sun shines, as long as the moon remains in the sky, yes, forever. Praise for longevity in this kingdom. One of the reasons is, 
Solomon's reign ends, what happens after that? Throughout history, the history of Israel and the history of either the northern or southern kingdoms after they split, there is a list of many very bad kings. And this guy was a terrible king and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this guy was a terrible king and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this guy was even worse than those guys combined. And it just talks about all those things. And the oppression it brought upon the people of God because they had a king who didn't follow God. He prays as a king for its successor that the next king will bless others. Verse number six, may the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on a freshly cut grass like the showers that water the earth. It's his prayer not to use the throne for himself, but that it will use his power for purpose. And I think we're gonna look at that and apply that to our own life. If you get promoted at your job, uh, one, of my, one of our friends on, on, I think it's the church softball team, part of, sorry if you're in the room, his daughter is training to be manager at McDonald's. She's 16 years old. I think that's pretty cool. So they're gonna promote her to manager as a teenager. That shows, one, a lot of action on her. Um, uh, two, good thing for a company to be raising up leadership and giving leadership opportunities. We think, think, uh, we think about within our church, you know, I've got friends who won't let 40-year-olds be on leadership of their church because they're too young. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch that 40 year old run a mile and then tell me how young you think he is. <laughs> um, have him do like 50 air squats and then look at him the next day. Tell me how young you think he is. Amen. The, you know, we think about power for purpose. You're put in a position of power, you're giving a title. We look at yourself and just begin to evaluate. God, is this for my benefit? No. Solomon wasn't put on the throne like, oh man, Solomon, here you go. Plush cush life, here you go. No, he's put in that place to serve the people of God. Your position, manager, CEO, business owner, you're not put in that for your own power you put, you've given that power for purpose. Use it for the purposes of God. Bless others. Verse number seven, he prays that the king, the next king will be prosperous. Verse number three speaks to this. Verse number seven, may the godly flourish during his reign. May, may there be abundant prosperity until the moon is no more. Again, prosperity is not a wrong thing to pray for. And I just kind of want to open that conversation up um, because prosperity, that word, um, people are kind of repel against it and you're too careful about it. You speak, you say the word prosperity with the wrong accent and a bunch of people leave your church. All right. And so this is not a bad word. David here is praying this. Um, on multiple occasions, multiple times in this song for the future king, but the question is why pray for it? And it's so our why, again, that determines our motivation, that determines whether or not it's something we should even be seeking. In our culture, 
We celebrate those who get rich from sports, music, or movies, and we denigrate those. We put down people who get rich from inventing, working, or building something. If you build a business and become rich, we put you down. If you shoot a basketball and get rich, we elevate you. Uh, It doesn't really make too much sense to me why there's that double standard. But for us, let us not put down those who are prospering. Let us not put down those who, who, who are beyond us financially. Because it doesn't mean that they're evil or that they've done anything wrong. They could just be simply on the blessing end of a prayer prayed by a family member before them. We, Jeremiah 29, 7, another part in scripture, speaks to this, Jesus, uh, God talking to the people of Israel says, seek the prosperity of the city which with I am sending you. They were being um, brought into captivity and they were told, pray the city prospers. We have a business, we have a family, we have a successor beyond us. We pray that they prosper, not that they fail. Why? Why should the godly flourish? Why should the godly prosper? We see it here in the song over and over again from the first couple verses, caring for the needy. You, you know, when, you're, when you've got things to give away, it's easy to give away. When you're, you, can, you, you have ability to help one person, you have ability to then help one family, you have ability to help 100 families. Or like Convoy of Hope and our Feed One initiative, we, every month as a church, are feeding, I don't want to, I'm going dyslexic in my brain. I'm pretty sure it's 67 kids. I, I don't know if it's 67 or 76, but I'm pretty sure it's 67 kids every month that we're feeding through Feed One. So that's amazing. When, when God prospers his house, the needy are cared for. And then a uh, second reason for this is sharing the gospel helping support missionaries, helping to send missionaries, helping to fund missionaries, helping to do initiatives within our own community. These are reasons why we pray for prosperity, not for newer, nicer things, not for our own comfort. So as we move right down to the end of this song, it's a bunch of things. The last thing that he, that he prays here is a prayer of people for their king. And that's why this song is put in to the list of songs that the Jewish people would sing and that the early church would sing. That they would pray this for their king, that they'd pray this over their leadership. And we should pray these same things over our leadership. Wisdom, action, and a walk And these were things that King Louis was executed for not having. He did not have wisdom. He made a bunch of stupid decisions. He did not have action. He was indecisive and he did not have a walk. What he told people to do is not what he did. Um, He was ultimately executed. They believed he was treasonous and went against his country to try to benefit himself. We pray... As people, we pray for our king or our leadership that they would serve for a long time, they would bless others, and they would lead them into prosperity. Again, another thing that King Louis did not do. Um, At the time when he became king, they estimate that the unemployment rate was about 50% 
in France. It got worse after that. Uh, and then they had, because of decisions he made about, about taxes and because of a famine, they ended up going into a bread shortage. Just imagine how bad it is when you can't find bread. And like, of all the, like, bread's the one thing you can rely on. You can't rely on that. And so these were just actions that he led that caused them to, to suffer, which led to him and his wife being overthrown and executed. Now, this psalm, certainly speaking about our responsibility as people to our governmental authorities, and that's kind of how we opened up the series, talking about our right as parents and, and how we interact with our kids, and we've talked about that in this series. But this entire thing, and, and so many of David's psalms are like this, the songs he wrote in the Bible are like this. It moves just beyond the now, and it talks about the future. The psalm is not just talking about kings of the past, but it's talking about the greater king, the one who is gonna come. And the one who has come that we sing of and know of and worship and love, is talk, this is talking about Jesus a thousand years before Jesus. It says, look at verse number 10, and, and we'll kind of walk through and point out a couple of things to see that David's writing this so far ahead of time. It says, the eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him their gifts. Just a question right there. It's like, you know, is this the foreshadowing of the wise men, the magi showing up on the birth of Jesus, a couple years after the birth of Jesus, coming from the east and bringing him gifts? Verse number 11, all kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11 says, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Speaking, he's speaking about the future king, the greater king. Verse number 12, he will rescue the poor when they cry to him, he will help the oppressed who have no one to defend him. He feels pity for the weak and the needy and he will rescue them. Just remember, this is Jesus and his heart for us. Verse number 14, he will redeem them from oppression and violence for their lives are precious to him. Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14 says, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, into, God has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus, who purchased our freedom, that word, redeemed. He redeemed us and forgave us our sins. As much as David is praying for his son and he's praying for the kingdom and the people of God, he recognizes this life is temporary. There is a greater king to come that he was looking forward to. There's a greater king that exists that we worship. Kind of in the first week of this series, we just remind ourselves that we are citizens of heaven first. This morning, we remind ourselves we are citizens of heaven first. We pray blessings over our nation, over our leadership. We pray that they'll walk in the wisdom and the actions of God. But we never forget that it is temporary and there's a greater king. So we don't fear, we don't freak out, we don't panic, we don't attack, we don't yell, we don't scream, we don't really have to. All we have to do is pray. And we're confident that our greater king is with us. He ends the psalm singing and praising the greater king 
And in our time together, I want to end the same way. If everybody at every location will stand to your feet in our service, I want to read verses 18 and 19 to you. And then I want us to sing, praising God for who he is, praising God for being the greater king, praising God that, um, that his decision doesn't, you know, won't lead to famines or unemployment or, or, or to neglect but his decisions are right and true and wise. It says, praise the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord God, the God of Israel. Praise the Lord God, the God of Restoration Church. Praise the Lord God, the God of you. Could we close our eyes and pray together and then let's sing together. Jesus, I thank you that this morning someone's making a decision to give their life to you. When that desire is in our heart and we're just not even sure how to express it, we just use our mouth to say, Jesus, give you my life. I believe that you're God's son. I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to be my God. And when we use our mouth, when we confess with our mouth our belief in you, we are saved, forgiven, and adopted into the family of God. And I thank you for every person making that decision right now. Jesus, I pray that as parents and grandparents, we will pray prayers over our kids and our grandchildren that are, um, that are full of confidence, that, are, that you know, we just give them to you and yield them over to you. We'll pray that they'll walk righteously. We'll pray that they'll walk in your ways. They'll pray that they'll walk in the things you've called them to do. God, as business owners and leaders and people in authority, I pray we would recognize that our power is for a purpose and we begin to use it to bless others, not to just bless ourselves. And God, no matter what goes on in, in our world, no matter what goes on in our country, no matter what goes on um, you know, in the future, we always come back to this. We always remember this. You're the king above every king, the president above every president, the senator above every senator, the congressman above every congressman. You are in charge. You have all authority. And we trust you. We're going to pray. We'll pray blessing for our leadership. We pray the decisions they make will help the godly to flourish. And as we flourish, God, we'll be able to accomplish more for your kingdom, be greater kingdom builders. I pray, God, we will always, always live according to what you've called us to do. Jesus, we love you. We sing every week, lifting up your name and praising your name. Church didn't save us. We didn't save ourselves. Being good people didn't save us. Jesus, your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave saved us. And that's why we sing. And that's why we praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.